welcome to the North Shore Church audio podcast. To find out more information about North Shore Church, please visit us at mynsag.com. We hope you enjoy today's message. Several years ago, about 12 years ago, when Melissa was pregnant with um, our oldest, Abram, there's one night she wakes up in the middle of the night and goes to the restroom because that's what pregnant ladies do. They use the restroom a hundred times a night. And, and then she comes over me where I was dead asleep and she comes and she, she shakes me and she wakes me up and she says, Chris. And I'm thinking, oh, it's baby time. Let's get going. And she says, Chris. She said, somebody's trying to break in the back door. And my first thought was like, what do you want me to do about it, right? Like, I'm not a fighter. Like, I don't know what, what you're wanting me to do. And so I get up, and, and, you know, I'm trying to think, okay, now what do I have to do? And so, so I look around the room and try to find the closest thing to a weapon that I can find, which was a belt hanging in the closet. And so I, <clears throat> I grab the belt, and, and I make sure the metal part is out. So, you know, if I can get that thing whipping fast enough, I'll knock him on the head or something. I don't know what I'm going to do. And so I, I remember sneaking out into the, you know, the dining room and then reach my hand around the kitchen and flip the light and then come back. You know. um, <clears throat> if you've ever had something like that where you've heard a noise that was kind of odd and, and wakes you up in the middle of the night and you know you have to go check it out, no, no it doesn't matter how tough you are. It doesn't matter how much of a man's man you are. Like, like your, your heart starts beating. How many of you know what I'm talking about, right? Like it's, it's scary. And so I'm walking around there. I got my belt and I'm you know, ready. And then I opened the back door and kind of look out, and, and there was nothing. And it was probably a mix of the wind and pregnancy hormones. I don't know what it was, but uh, it was a scary moment. And, and I look back as I'm getting ready to go into the kitchen, and Melissa is in the bathroom. She's, she's got the door, like, almost completely closed. She has the phone. She's dialed 9-1, and she's, she's ready for the next one, right? And later I asked her, I said, what are you going to do? What, were you, what was your plan with that? And she said, well, I was going to lock the door and then yell out, I've already dialed 911, so you might as well not kill him. And I was like, thank you. I'm good with that, I guess. <clears throat> and as I go back to bed and, you know, your heart is just racing and you're trying to calm down and now every, everything you hear is another bad guy trying to break in. I'm, I'm just like processing it and, you know, like just trying to calm down. And I remember thinking like, what would happen if, if something really did happen? And, and in that moment, I had this thought that if this ever happened for real, I'm going to have to fight. And it was always nice when, like, you were a kid that you could holler for somebody else to do the fight. Like, Dad, you know, bad guy, come get him. But when there's nobody else, and so, and so there was this realization, there was this really important defining moment in, in my life where this, this decision point came where, where I remember thinking, like, though I'm not a fighter, this is my family, and this is my fight. And so if something happens, I'm going to have to throw down. You know what I mean? <clears throat> so three months ago, three, four months ago, I don't know how long it was ago, um, it was uh, my day off, and I was at home uh, with Melissa and, and our youngest daughter. The other kids were at school. And I had just gotten out of the showers at like 9.30 in the morning, and uh, um, I hear this loud bang, and... Melissa says, oh, no, the totes that I had stacked up downstairs have fallen down. And she had totes that she had stacked too high. And she talked the last couple of days about worrying, she was worried that those were going to fall down. And so she hears this bang, and she says, oh, no. And then, and then half a second later, bang. And she goes, oh, there goes the rest of them. And then one more time, bang, really hard. I mean, it was, it was rattling the whole house. And after that third bang, I said, now, listen, man, something's not right. And, 
And I, I, I'm, I'm starting to get suspicious. And so I, I walk out, you know, where our bedroom was, and, and I grab the bedroom door. And I'm, I'm wondering if something, like, bad is happening. And I, and I open the door, and I peek down the hallway. And um, <clears throat> there in our house were two guys with hoodies and gloves. Um, they, they busted our door down. They kicked the door in, and they were in the house. And as I look down the hallway, I see them over by the TV and by the computers and stuff like that. And they were kind of like looking around, like trying to figure out what they were going to take and how fast and, and, you know, who knows what else. And um, <clears throat> in that moment, I, I looked down there. They didn't see me. I saw them. And, and, I mean, instant fear. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody? I mean, instant fear. And, um, <clears throat> excuse me. So, so I peek my head out and I see them and I pull my head back in and I'm thinking I'm going to lock the door and, you know, be safe. But, um, but there was something inside of me that just stopped. I don't know what it was, but it stopped it. And when I, I pulled my head in, I was going to shut the door. Then like immediately I ripped the door back open and I stuck my head back out and I said, hey, like loud. <clears throat> Not just like, what's up, guys? It was, hey, like, you know, rage. And, and then I jumped out into the hallway and I said, you guys get out of here, just as loud as I can. And then I don't stop there. I, I take off running down the hallway like a deranged lunatic, right? Just short and, um, and as I'm running down the hall, I, I remember very distinctly thinking three things. There are three thoughts, and it's weird how that happens, and, and like you're thinking all of these things. Three thoughts went through my mind as I'm running down the hallway, and, and it's not a long hallway, but I'm running down. I don't have shoes on and, and everything, and I'm running down, and I, and I remember thinking first and foremost, I am running really fast down this hallway. Why am I running so fast? I remember thinking, number two, I don't think I've ever yelled this loud in my life, and I'm still yelling. Like, it, like all these things, like, well, I'm running really fast, I'm yelling really loud, and I'm just, Aah! and then number three, I remember thinking, this is gonna hurt. <laughs> we're, about to, we're about to go, you know, and this is, this is going to hurt, and, um, Melissa asked me, well, what were you going to do, Chris, you idiot, running down there? What were you going to do? And I said, I, I don't know. I mean, I, was, I guess I was going to try to stall them enough so you could, like, get a gun and shoot them and hopefully miss me. I don't know. You know, we were just, it was time to go, so it was time to go. And, and, um, and luckily, you know, with all the rage that I had built up, when they saw me, they got scared and took off running, Right? And so they ran out of the house, and I just got to the door and made sure they were gone. Went back and checked on Melissa and everything. And, and one guy was running down the house. The other guy was, like, getting away and, and uh, getting in his car and driving away. And, and uh, I, I love hearing my daughter talk about it. Um, she, says, um, she says, Daddy, the bad guys, and that's what we call them, the bad guys. And, and she says, the bad guys are afraid of guys with no shirts, huh, Daddy? <laughs> I mean, what... I mean, not everybody, but me, obviously, you know. And um, she always tells everybody. She says, yeah, and then the, the bad guys, they, they flipped Daddy over the deck. And he was like, what is, what, they, did, they, did they flip you over the deck? I said, no, no, no. When I was standing out on the deck while they left, they flipped me off, and she didn't know. So she always says, <laughs> so they flipped Daddy over the deck. <clears throat> and, uh, and then she says, and then she always says, and then mommy said to the cop, he was so brave. <laughs> but it was, a, it was a moment, man. And it was like, it was so scary. And, and I'm not even ashamed to admit that. Like, it was legitimately scary. Um, but, 
But I remember making the decision years and years ago. I, I had this distinct decision point that if ever something really happened, this was my family, and so this was my fight, whether or not I'm a fighter. And the decision was made years ago, and, and, and this morning I want to talk to you about the decision to fight. The decision to fight. We are in a series called Decision Points, and we've been looking at many different major decision points in our life. And, and I think one of the most important decisions that you will ever make in your life is what you are going to fight for. What is worth fighting for? Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6, he says, As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. He's saying, like, I'm coming to the end. I'm almost done. I've done everything that I came to do. He says, the time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. The word fought that Paul uses here is a Greek word, um, and, and it's this word agonosimai. <clears throat> agonosimai, which literally means to engage in conflict. He says, I have engaged in conflict. I have fought the good fight. For Paul's entire life, he battled for the sake of Christ. He battled for the kingdom of God. And he faced conflict after conflict after conflict. In fact, he is writing this letter to Timothy, Pastor Timothy. He's writing this letter to Timothy while he is sitting in a Roman prison cell chained to two Roman guards because he was such a high-profile prisoner. They made sure that he was under um, observation the entire time. And so while he is writing this letter, he's sitting in prison because he had a conflict with a mob of people that were angry with him for telling and preaching and teaching that Jesus was the only way to salvation. Engaged in conflict. And Paul, in this letter, as he's taking stock of his life and he's, he's trying to relate it to what life has been like, he says, I fought the good fight. He doesn't say I've danced a good dance. He doesn't say I sipped a mean latte. He doesn't say I played a good hand. He doesn't say, I got a good education. At the very end of his life, as he was thinking about what's coming next, and he knew very clearly that he was probably facing execution, he says, I fought the good fight. I fought hard. I didn't quit. And there was conflict around every bend. There was a struggle, but I endured. And Paul is looking to what's coming next. He says, and I see the crown of righteousness set before me. He says, I know that the reward is there, and I have fought, and I didn't quit. One of the most important decisions that you and I will ever make in this life is determining what we are going to fight for. So my question for you this morning is this. What is your good fight? What is your good fight. I believe that, that God has put a good fight inside every single one of us. And, and the reality is that, that the church fights for something and, and corporately the, the body of believers fight for something. But, but I believe that the Holy Spirit in his, his divine plan and his divine agenda for you has placed a specific to you good fight inside of you. And this, I believe, is, is a part of the kingdom of God, that we are a priesthood of believers that God has a call for the church, but a specific call for you. And when the people in the church start 
operating and walking in the specific call that God has for them as an individual, we will see the kingdom advance and just grow in phenomenal ways. So the question is, what is your good fight? What stirs you up? What, what are the things that you just can't remain silent about? I believe in part that those things reveal the specific call that God has placed on your life. What do you have to fight for? What do you have to fight for? Maybe for you it's teen suicide. That, that just, man, that, that riles you up and you, you have to, you just feel like, man, inside of you, you just need to, you want to do something about that. Maybe it's marriages. Maybe it's healthy marriages. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe right now the Holy Spirit is saying, hey, your good fight right now is your marriage. Don't you quit. Don't you quit. Don't you quit. Don't you quit. You keep fighting. You keep enduring. I know there's conflict in your marriage, but you keep fighting. And that's your good fight right now. Maybe, maybe your good fight that God is calling you to is homelessness or hunger or maybe it's, it's, it's to combat bullying in school or maybe your good fight is for your country or, or combating racial prejudice or financial freedom for people or, or maybe your good fight is, is for the lost or to advance the kingdom of God or discipleship or ministry, whatever your good fight is. For me, um, Part of my good fight is, I believe that God has called me to, is just ministry and, and discipleship and, and, and just, you know, kind of that church, um, obviously. That's, you know, what I do. But um, this last summer, during kids camp, the Wednesday of kids camp, we were in a staff meeting where all the counselors or dorm leaders were together and sharing testimonies. And there was a girl sitting behind me. And it was Wednesday. Man, we had, we had you know, I think I had nine boys that I was with all, you know, little boy, you know, little kids all week. And so, man, I was tired and, and it was hot and all that stuff. And so I was probably grumpy anyways. But there was a girl sitting behind me. She was a college-age student, and, and she was sharing a testimony, I guess. And um, she said, man, I can't wait to, to, when I get home because I'm going to start helping out in the youth ministry. And listen, I love youth ministry. And as a youth pastor and Pastor Dan's doing an amazing job and, and what God is doing in that generation is phenomenal and, and all the leaders and everything that God is just really doing amazing things. But this girl said, she said, I, I'm getting ready to go back and I want to get involved in youth ministry. Right now, the only thing I do in my church is nursery. And you know, that's not real ministry. So I can't wait to get back and do real ministry. And as I'm sitting there listening to this, Melissa's sitting next to me, and she's like, what? And then and I said, just a second. And, and I interrupted her in this meeting that, that, you know, a lot of pastors and different people are in this meeting. And I interrupted her, and I said, hang on a second. And instantly I made it completely awkward in the room. I wasn't, like, trying to be a jerk or anything like that. It, just, it was just something that, that just bothered me enough that I had to say something right then. And I said, hey, hang on a second. You know, if you're called to the ministry, you can never, never say that nursery is not ministry. Ever. You can't say anything like that. Just don't ever say that. Nursery is real ministry. In fact, I believe so much that, that Jesus, you know, Jesus says, we hear it all the time, where, where Jesus says, bring the little ones unto me. And you have to be like one of these little ones if you're going to receive the kingdom of God. I believe that if Jesus was in church today or serving in a ministry today, he would do his time in the ministry or in the nursery. Amen. Like he would, he would pray for those kids and he would bless kids. And, and we can't ever say that it's not real ministry. When we have the opportunity to speak life over kids, whether they understand it or not, to speak blessings over kids, to pray for them, to tell them about Jesus, to teach them songs like Jesus loves me. And yes, I know for the Bible tells me so. And Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white. How important it is that our kids know this from the very beginning. Amen. Amen. And so this is real ministry. And I didn't rant on her that long, but I just said, listen, 
You can't say that that's not real ministry. Because it is. It is. And, and it, just, it was part of my good fight, apparently. Or maybe I was just tired and cranky. But something happened where it stirred me up to where I just had to say something. Listen, your good fight is something that God has placed inside of your spiritual DNA. He's designed you on purpose and for a specific purpose. And it's crucial that you discover what that purpose is. Oftentimes, people will come up to, to me and different other pastors, and, and this isn't just unique to this church. It's churches all over the place. And they'll want a meeting, and they'll say, hey, pastor, you know, I got this idea. I feel like we as a church need to be doing this, or I feel like we as a church need to be giving money to this family or, or to this organization. We need to be supporting them. And, and um, the reality is, most of the time when we have those conversations, it's not something that God is directing the church to. It's something that God is directing the individual to, and what God is doing is the Holy Spirit is revealing to that individual their good fight. The problem is they have never made the decision in their life that they are going to fight their good fight. And so what they do is they get this idea and the Holy Spirit is speaking to them and they look around and they try to find somebody who is involved in a good fight and they said, hey, you need to do this too. When the reality is, the Holy Spirit is saying, no, 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 I didn't ask the church to do this. I asked you to. I didn't ask the pastor to do this. I asked you to. And we need to be a people that have determined to fight our good fight individually. Paul says, I have fought the good fight. But the reality is, for Paul, that wasn't always the case for him. Many of you here this morning, you know Paul's story. Um, but let's go back and, and review it. Let's consider it one more time. Acts chapter 6 tells us a story about a man named Stephen. And uh, what happened is Stephen was chosen to oversee a food distribution program in the church because what was happening is there was some division in the church because um, some of the women felt discriminated against. Some of the Greek-speaking and Hebrew-speaking women were fighting, and, and, and some of them, one of the factions, felt discriminated against based on, you know, who they were, their, their race. You, you know what I'm saying? And um, so there was this massive division inside of the church, and so... The apostles prayed. They said, we have to do something about this. And so they looked around the church, and they found some men filled with the Holy Spirit, the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And they said, we need to appoint some of these men to oversee the food distribution program because it's creating tension, and there's division, and there's disunity in the church. And so Stephen was one of these men that was chosen to be a part of this ministry. Now, it looked like Stephen's role is to be a waiter, to be a, a, a lunch server. Uh, but the reality is, his good fight in this, what God had called him to do, the, the mission that the Holy Spirit had placed on him was not to serve food, but to bring unity into a divided church, okay? So whether his title was waiter or not, his mission, his fight was a unifier. Now I want to say something to you, because uh, you look at me and you think, oh, well, your job is ministry, and that's your good fight, and, yada, yada, and that all works. It doesn't matter what your job title is. Your job and your good fight don't always share the same title, amen? Your job and your good fight don't always share the same title. Title. Whether or not you get paid to participate in your good fight or not doesn't mean that God hasn't called you to your good fight. You may, your good fight, like I said, your good fight may be to combat teen suicide and you might never uh, make a dime for that, but that doesn't mean it's not your good fight. And so, 
And so what happens is, is Stephen's good fight is to bring unity, and under his leadership, amazing things begin to happen. He's filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, and God uses him in tremendous ways, unifies the church. Um, God is using Stephen to perform miracles and signs and wonders, and there's physical healing and relational healing and racial healing in this. It's amazing when you read Scripture. Um, in, in light of what's happening in, in our culture and in society, it always has something to say, doesn't it? It always has something to say. The, the racial divide that is slamming this country right now is absolutely nothing new. This is not a new tactic. This is a tactic that the enemy has been using for hundreds and thousands of years. But it's an effective one. It's, it's, it's his go-to tactic because it is so powerful. It is so effective. If he can divide a nation, divide a country, divide a people, and divide a people of God, then he begins to win. As I look at this, I know that it's not, censor, it's not censorship or free speech. It's not the removal of statues or changing street names that's going to do anything about this. I believe that it's a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the lives of believers that is going to make a difference. And listen, not just, <clears throat> and I don't think, listen, we pray for revival, we pray for you know, those that we consider outsiders and stuff like that. I'm not saying that it's a fresh outpouring of the Spirit of God on these people groups that we disagree with. I'm saying that it's a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit of God within the church first, within the people of God first, within the people that say we represent peace, we represent the kingdom of God, we represent the King of kings and the Lord of lords, we are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. We need a fresh outpouring of the Spirit of God on us so that when we leave this building, then, then we can begin to influence communities and influence jobs and influence families and nations, but it has to start first and foremost in the lives of the believers, Riots in the street aren't surprising where there is a lack of revival in the church. So Stephen was doing some amazing things and God was using him powerfully and some of the opponents of the gospel didn't like that and so they confronted Stephen and they arrested him and, and, and they brought him to the, the religious high council and it was, it was a trial very much like Jesus's where they were making false accusations and they brought false witnesses to tell false stories about Stephen and then the high council says, Stephen, what do you have to say for yourself? And instead of defending himself, instead of saying, hey, that's a lie, obviously, and I have proof. This is a lie. This is a lie. This is a lie. Instead of defending himself, he essentially preaches a sermon. And in Acts chapter 7, um, he preaches this massive sermon. Unfortunately, he never gets to the altar call because the religious leaders are so furious at him. And Acts chapter 7, verse 57, it says, they, the, the, the high council, they put their hands over their ears and they began shouting and screaming him down. They rushed at him, so they ran up to him, they grabbed him, they dragged him out of the city and began to stone him, throw rocks at him. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. Now Saul is the same man as, as the guy we talked about a little bit before, but his name at the end of his life is Paul. God changed his name. And, but it's the same man. It's the same guy who, who was in prison and says, I have fought the good fight. And so what happens is these accusers of Stephen, they brought him outside of the city. They start throwing rocks at Stephen. Um, they can't really get a good range of motion because their coats are binding them. So they take their coats off and they give them to Saul and say, hey, watch our coats as we throw rocks at this guy until he dies. Verse 59. Scripture says, as they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. 
And then as he was being stoned, he fell to his knees and he shouted, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. Now think about this for a second. This is, this is so amazing. Let me just make this comment that the biblical strategy for winning a good fight is going to look very different than the strategy that the world will employ. Now Stephen is getting rocks thrown at him. And, and he's, being in, he's in the process of being killed. Rocks hitting his head, hitting his face. And he's not calling for justice. He's not calling for retribution. He's not praying, God, get them. God, send them to hell. God, you know, just destroy them. Send a lightning bolt down and get them. As rocks are being thrown at his face, he falls on his knees and he says, God, forgive them. God, don't hold this sin against them. God, shut your eyes. Don't look at what's happening right now. God, restore them. God, come and, and, and allow your love and your grace and your mercy to fill them up and this situation. But this sin, them throwing the rocks, just pretend it didn't happen. Don't count this sin against them. Wow, right? Like that doesn't look like any sort of fight that we see today. And with that, he died. Chapter 8, verse 1 of Acts, Saul, the same guy that we're talking about, was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. He was like, yeah, get him, get him, get him. And it was just as if this moment, watching Stephen being killed, ignited a fire inside of him and that could only be quenched with the blood of Christians. And so Saul made it his mission to stamp out Christianity, to go and find any believer, throw them in jail, kill them, whatever it took to, to rid the world of the scourge of Christianity. Scripture says a great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. All the believers except the apostles were scattered throughout the re regions of Judea and Samaria. So um, these people were um, killing and imprisoning Christians, and so the, the church ran away. They scattered. They, they went throughout the region for their safety, their physical health. Um, as they went, they were telling people about Jesus, and so God used this persecution to grow the church. Um, but Scripture says in verse 3, but Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. And so as these Christians were running from Jerusalem, Saul was coming to get them. He was going after them. He was pursuing them. And it says he went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them in prison. Again, Saul made it his mission to destroy the church, to stamp out Christianity. If you were a Christian, Saul was the scary guy. He was the guy that was coming to get you. This was the fight that he was committed to. It wasn't a good fight. It wasn't a right fight. It wasn't a holy fight. But this was the fight that he had committed to. It wasn't his good fight. I think it's important for us as individuals, we have to be very careful the fights that we commit to. Some people are just fighters, and they like to fight. So if they see a good fight, man, they're just going to jump in and be all about it. But we have to be very, very careful the fights that we commit to. Um, as believers, we have to first and foremost remember that we are representing the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We have to first and foremost remember that we are representation of Almighty God, the Alpha and the Omega. We have to remember that we are representations of the one who spoke life into existence. And not, first and foremost, represent, representations of a political color. Amen? We have to be very careful the fights that we are all in committed to. There's a major difference between a fight and a good fight. A good fight godly, divine fight. All week I've been thinking about the events that have happened at Charlottesville. 
um, watching the fallout from it and watching the news articles and, and video clips, and you guys have seen all of this stuff too, and man, this is hard to process, isn't it? It's just, it's difficult to, to, to think through and, and to try to put blame, and, and as I consider whether or not to comment on this, I honestly find this very, very nerve-wracking because it seems as though anybody who speaks on this in a, in a public setting has to be very careful, right? And, and if you don't denounce aggressively enough or denounce the right people or condemn this or that or, or if you say too little or say too much or condemn one harsher than the other, then you're going to be blackballed, boycotted, and booed off the stage. It seems as though, at least over these last couple of weeks, and we've seen this build, that there's a very intricate little politically correct dance that's required to speak on this stuff. The problem is nobody really knows the moves. Nobody knows the steps. Nobody knows what to say. But this is what I do know. And I know who I am. Right? I know that I'm a white man who has grown up in Nebraska that is predominantly white. I understand that there are things that I don't understand when it comes to racial prejudice and, and things that people have endured. I'll never forget a conversation that I had with um, the girls basketball coach at CBC, who was a black man. And uh, he was just talking about, he was telling us one day about um, going home. He was riding his bike home. And uh, somebody was driving by and they rolled down the, the window as they were driving by, said a derogatory name and spit on it. Just spit a big old, you know, on the back of his neck. And I said, man, Coach Hardy, I'm apologizing. So sorry. I'm so sorry, man. I, I, I've never experienced anything like that. So I know. I know that there are things that I've never experienced and don't know. And I know that I'm not an expert and I can't speak well on this topic. But this is what I do know. And it's not just an opinion. It's what I know from Scripture. That at the heart of racism is sin. The very heart of racism is sin. Romans tells us that all have sinned. And that there is no one righteous. Not even one, Romans 3.10 says. So this means that if we look at this Scripture, that in ourselves, no one gets to claim moral high ground. No one, because all have sinned. Every single one of us have sinned. There is no one. It doesn't matter the color of your skin or how much money you make or where you live or, or anything like that. Nobody gets to claim the moral high ground because every single person has sinned. The only supremacy that we will ever preach and ever believe in is the supremacy of Jesus Christ. That's it. So that's a big problem because everybody has sinned. Nobody can show us the way. Nobody can speak on this with authority. Fortunately, however, Jesus gave his life to destroy sin. Jesus gave his life to destroy the effects and the power that sin has in our lives and in this world. There is no one righteous, but Jesus died to make the unrighteous righteous in the eyes of God. That's good. That's good news. 
And so Jesus gave his life to destroy the power of addiction, which many of you are, are experiencing freedom from that addiction today because of the power of God in your life. Um, Jesus gave his life to destroy the power of fear and lust and anger. Jesus gave his life to destroy the power of racism and prejudice. It was Jesus' good fight. It led Jesus to the cross. And though all have sinned, there is none righteous, not even one, it's Jesus' desire that no one perishes. We find people in church all the time saying, I don't know what God is waiting for. He just needs to hurry up and come in and set things right. Well, Scripture tells us what God is waiting for. He says, Scripture says God is being patient because he doesn't want anybody to perish. And he wants to give the sinners, he wants to give people who are far from God more time to come into relationship with him. That's what he's waiting for. So, listen, if you want God to hurry up, the best way for that to happen is you to stop complaining about it, but going out and just radically spreading the message of the gospel. Right? And so it means that Jesus died so that racist Nazis could have intimacy with him. The people with the, the, the tiki torches that, that we see, Jesus died so that they would have intimacy with him. Jesus not died so that the Antifa group with the, with the hoodies and the masks could have intimacy with him. Jesus died so that the self-righteous journalists that we see on TV could have a relationship with him. Right? Jesus died so that the annoying Facebook posters that you've hidden on your Facebook feed could have intimacy with him. Jesus died so that you and I, though we relatively think, you know, we're pretty good people, you know, we're, you know, we're good. Jesus died so that we, though we are unrighteous and though we are unqualified and though we are unworthy, he died so that we could have relationship and intimacy with him. That's his good fight, but that was the best fight. And I've heard it say that this is not a skin issue, it's a sin issue. And the answer to this massive sin issue that is facing our country is not a calling for justice and judgment, though that is needed and required, but a call to repentance. It's falling on our knees before an almighty God and saying, Lord, forgive us. And it's not demanding that somebody else do it. It's us right here. It's me and you in this church leading the way, falling on our knees at, at the foot of the cross, so to speak, and saying, Lord, I'm sorry for my part. I'm sorry for my prejudice. Some of it I can see, some of it I don't see. I'm sorry for the hatred that I keep buried. God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that as I, as I watch some of these people on TV, I, I, my thought is that I hope that they have an encounter with the law rather than I hope that they have an encounter with you. God, I'm sorry. Forgive me, Lord. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive our nation, Lord. May the church, and not just the North Shore, but may the church be given the spirit and the anointing of Stephen. May the church be unifying. May the church be Holy Spirit empowering. May we see in the church, led by the people of God, falling on their knees in repentance and begging God to forgive, lead the way for a revival that sweeps through our state, our nation, and our world. Do we as believers, I'm talking to the Christians now who are in this, right? Do we as believers believe 
Do we legitimately believe that God has the ability to bring one more great awakening, one more great revival? God, start with us. Every fight must start in our own hearts. This is why we have to decide what we're going to fight for. Because if we don't make this decision, we find ourselves fighting for the wrong things and in the wrong ways. And when you determine what you're going to fight for, you're better able to avoid the fights that distract you from the good fight that God has called or he's set before you. And so Paul says near the end of his life, he says, I fought the good fight. Because he finally discovered what his good fight was. And I'm running out of time. But I want to share this. In Acts chapter 9, Paul was on his way to Damascus with a document in his hand to go and arrest Christians and take them into prison. As he was approaching Damascus on his mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell on the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you and you will be told what you must do. Verse eight, Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So Saul was going to Damascus to kill Christians. Jesus uh, appeared to him in this vision. When he got up off the ground, he was completely blind. Now, I, you have to see this because, because the way God works in this good fight, he often asks us to do something that is absolutely contrary to anything we want to do. So, so God blinds Saul, says, go on, keep going to Damascus. I'm gonna show you what to do there. Now in Damascus, there's a man named Ananias. He's a believer. He knows who Saul is. He knows what he's done and how he's ravaged the church and imprisoned his friends and family. But God speaks to this man, Ananias, and he says, hey, Ananias, I'm going to send you a guy. And, um, and, when you, and when he finds you or you go and find him, I want you to pray for him. He's blind. I want you to pray. And, and, and um, when you pray, his eyes are going to be open. I want you to pray that the Holy Spirit just fills him up. And, and um, um, oh, by the way, his name is Saul. And Ananias is like, to God, he says, I know Saul. I'm going to pass on this one, right? Because, again, like I said, the strategy that God gives us in our good fight is radically different than, than the strategy that the world employs. If it was you or me and, and Saul, this, this killer of Christians, comes to my doorstep and he's blind, I see this as an opportunity, Right? You did this to my family and friends. You're this kind of a bad guy. I don't think God would be mad if I just took you out right now. God says, no, no, no. I want you to pray for him so his eyes will become open. Ananias, we're not doing this. Verse 15, but the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to the kings as well as the people of Israel. God says, I'm going to use him specifically and specially. I got a divine call on his life. He's beginning to see what his good fight is. I need you to go pray for him because I'm going to use him powerfully to change, literally change the world. Ananias is like, I ain't doing this. No way. Verse 16, I love this. I think it's so funny. I, I love how scripture writes this. And then God says to Ananias, and I will show him, Saul, how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Ananias says, I'm in. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll pray for him. Let's do this. He's going to suffer. It's going to go bad for him. Yes, let's go pray. So Ananias found him, prayed for him. He would regain his sight. He did. He'd be filled with the Holy Spirit. He was. Instantly, verse 18 says, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. And he got up and was baptized. And from that moment on, the rest of his life, Saul, name changed to Paul, 
gave his life to the good fight. He never stopped fighting. He just started fighting the good fight. And instead of doing the arresting, Paul was arrested. Instead of doing the beating, Paul was beaten. Instead of doing the accusing, Paul was accused. Instead of demanding blood, Paul was shedding blood. Instead of putting shackles on people, he was wearing shackles himself. And at the end, he says, I've fought the good fight. I've engaged in conflict. It hasn't always been easy, but I was faithful and I endured and I didn't quit. And, and the encounter that he had with Jesus on the road to Damascus literally changed everything about his life. He discovered his good fight and he stayed faithful to the end. In our world, there's conflict everywhere. As believers, we have to discover the good fight that God is calling us to fight. Let me ask again, what's your good fight? What's your good fight? First and foremost, we have to discover what the good fight is that God has called us to. Then we have to decide whether or not we're going to engage. Some of you know what your good fight is. You're just scared to engage. You're just scared to do anything about it. Like, man, this is risky. It may be. Man, this is tense. It may be. Man, this might be painful. It might be. It might, but that's the good fight that God has called you to be a part of. What is your good fight? God is calling you to engage in. What is it? And it's not to engage in hate or in violence or dissension or disunity. But the good fight that God is going to call you to be a part of is probably going to be a fight for somebody else that can't fight for themselves. It's a good, kingdom-advancing, life-giving, God-honoring, Christ-mimicking fight. Stand your feet all across this place. What is your good fight? Will you fight? Will you fight for your family? Will you fight for the next generation? Will you fight for the youth? Will you fight for peace? Will you fight for unity? Will you fight for hopelessness and, and lost people? Will you fight for and model a spirit of forgiveness, repentance? Will you fight for salvation? You bow your heads and close. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you'd like to connect with us or if you want more information about North Shore Church, please visit mynsag.com.